needs to sit back. The doctor should look at it as soon as possible. It is the way in which we propagate our species. Hi, and welcome to Casual Trek, a Star Trek recap and ranking podcast brought to you by Nerd and Tie and by the Ravages of Time. I'm Charlie Etheridge Nunn, a writer and a Charlie Brown fan. I am Marsby Lobato, an entropic wanderer of the time wastes, science fiction writer, and Miles Tales Poor Hour fan. Uh, should, should you be admitting that you're a fan of anything Sonic based? Are you going to get put on a list? Um, well, no, my, my wife is, my wife is a huge Sonic fan, so I'm, I'm safe. I don't know if I've meant to told the story on the podcast before, but the last movie my wife went to see before, um, COVID shut everything down was Sonic the Hedgehog. A lot of fun, like fun film. There you go. No notes, five stars. And then COVID happened. Fucking cancer year happened. I started going back to the cinema, but my wife hadn't for obvious reasons. And then when we found out that Sonic the Hedgehog 2 was coming out, I then became, you cannot see any film in the cinema until Sonic the Hedgehog 2. So your first film after co- after lockdown is Sonic 2. Oh my and she, God. And with a, like with a lot of my, my stupid ideas, my very intelligent wife said, that's a good idea. And I wish it subscribed to your newsletter. So the first film she saw in the cinemas after lockdown and breast cancer was Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Oh, so fun. Idris Elba's Knuckles steals the show by being the most funny unfunny. Five stars, no notes. Wow. Okay. I was going to make jokes about, you know, being being a Sonic fan and all that entails. But that is incredibly charming. Uh so, right, with no 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 Saki retort that I can really give to that, on with this. So, yeah, this is not a Sonic podcast. Um, it's a Star Trek podcast. And every episode, we watch stories from three different Star Trek shows and rank them on our big list of best worst. We both love Star Trek, but it's far from our first fandom. So that makes us the ultimate objective voices on such a task. This episode we're going to get pretty self-indulgent we See? we I, I just want to say we are subjective on star trek as um as the emotion uh, the emotion picture association is objective on the rights and fun and the rights of actors and writers in hollywood well you showed them man we should done we should have done the we should have done the episode where quarks bar unionizes yeah my god <laughs> uh, if only we'd have thought about this and done a if, union episode if only there were more episodes in star trek about the power of unions and the working man but no i'm straight get on that akiva goldsman and and the modern star trek showrunners once you're done striking obviously um anyway this is literally miles's birthday as we record so happy birthday miles thank you i'm 40 and i'll cry if i want to yeah that that'll be happening a lot as someone that's been 40 (laughs) for a little bit that will be happening um yeah and when this show airs it will be a day after my birthday i'll be 43 and happy 
Happy future birthday. Thank you. Yeah, I completely missed out on any, um, like, kind of um, 42 meaning of life type themed birthday things last year. So, yeah, I've, I've got no idea what equivalent there would be for 43. Okay, what we could do is we can have you do 42 again and say, time because COVID, time has no meaning, and then to celebrate, we can stick a fish in your ear. Yes, yeah, that works. Last year wasn't really my 42nd, so it was kind of a belated 40th, because again, COVID happened on the year I turned 40. Uh, unrelated. Two unrelated events there. Uh, I hope. Anyway... <laughs> Before we start blaming me for a plague, uh, what non-Star Trek things have you been enjoying since we last spoke, Mars? Okay, well, I am going to mention two. Well, because it's your birthday, I'll allow that. Well, thank you. Uh, first of all, um, I have been enjoying the new DC Superman cartoon, My Adventures of Superman. Fuck, which is, yes. Which is on Max. It is fun. It's charming. Jack Quaid, who I keep, you know, who is Boimler in uh, Lower Decks, mm. is kind of that kind of there as Superman. I think he does Clark Kent better than Superman, but it doesn't help that every time Superman opens his mouth, I hear Boimler from Lower Decks. So I just want to—I'm half expecting Clark Kent to say that he wants to see the Warp Core, and he probably does. And he probably does. You know, it's a, it's a fun show. Um, there are some really nice uh, deep cuts and Easter eggs. They've made a reference to Jimmy Olsen uh, being f his Twitter handle is Flamebird, mm -hmm. which is if you know your Silver Age candle deep lore. And they've brought back the Newsboy Legion as the um, the Daily Planet's uh, irregulars. Yeah, yeah. The as like the the people who deliver the daily, the kids who deliver the Daily Planet. It's fun. Yes, I saw the first ones. We have. The first episode on YouTube over here, and that's it. Uh, but it was it was so charming. Yeah, I I loved it. I I'm and very particular with Superman. I I feel like this is this is my Superman hot take that mm. despite all the people who say that Superman just isn't a relatable character, I feel that Superman works better on like TV and like TV and. Superman's always had a very big like popularity on like non comic book format. Like he had a popular TV radio show. Mm. There was of course like the iconic George Reeves show. We're both Charles in the nineties where we had um, the new adventures Superman with the worst Superman Dean Kane. Yep, yep. Um, yeah. And that was always like pop. But then we had a um, Smallville, which um, every time I bring up Smallville, I end up upsetting someone. I I tried. As a fan of bad teen drama and of Superman, I tried, and it, no, just no. I, I once upset a friend who was a big Smallville fan by saying how we watched Smallville in college was we would watch The Simpsons on BBC Two first, so by the time The Simpsons is finished, we'd switch over to Smallville, and by that time, all the teen drama crap has been done, and it's now primarily in Clark fighting Kryptonian mutants part of the show. And the guy looked at me and says, Smallville is one of my favorite shows. Mm. Awkward. Yeah. And the second show um, is another entry in a long running franchise, which is 
uh, Ultraman Blazer, which is the latest installment in uh, Subaraya's long-running Ultra series uh, concerning Ultraman, the giant, the giant space age superhero slash Christ metaphor. Of course, of course. Um, and what Subaraya is doing is that they've been releasing the shows simul um, simulcasting on YouTube with English subtitles, so you can watch them as they're being broadcast in Japan, and it'll have English subtitles, so you can watch it along, um, you know, straight on launch. But also this time they're also doing a simul dub, so there is an English dub that you can watch as the show is being premiered on um on Subaraya's YouTube channel. Uh it's a lot of fun. Unlike say the Super Sentai and the Kamen Rider shows, they generally stick to 26 episodes a year um instead of 50 episodes a year, and I feel that helps them make the budget work where it counts because all the giant special effects and monster fights look really good on a TV budget. Yeah. Cool. And also if you like like people in spandex pretending to smash up um, cities while fighting giant monsters, it's for you. I mean, who doesn't like that? Who doesn't? And the shows are relatively self-contained, so I feel like this is a good kind of jumping on point for what yeah. the, the franchise does. I'm never sure what is a, a jumping on point for these long franchises, and I know the irony as someone who is a massive, massive X-Men fan and fan of long-running american comics and such to go oh what's the jump it's so confusing <laughs> jumping on points onto you know your guns damn your your ultras the, the, man the, the good things with like your ultras men and your, and your commons writer is that every year they just they do and they do a new show they just kind of revamp it do a new show with a new cast a new theme and then like have a crossover movie midway through the year so every kind of show is moderately a jumping off point Ultraman, there's been a lot more lore in previous series where you have character uh, where you have the Ultraman whose whose themes and thus his toy merchandising are based on fusions of previous Ultraman. And mm. I don't know if they'll be if they're gonna be doing that with with Blazer, but mostly shows are generally a decent jumping on point because new cast, new giant uh, ultra form, same destruction. Nice. There's a way to sell that. <laughs> So, yeah, what's been uh, your non-Star Trek thing this week, Charlie? So, uh, as people... Have... Outside, outside of surgery. Outside, uh, well, yeah, yeah. Um, aside from, hooray, go to your dentists more often, everyone. It's people just do nothing. And this is a, a TV show which ran for five series. And it's... Um, so, I've been loving Taskmaster over the last year or so and there are a bunch of comedians in there who i've never seen any work from and re-watching series six uh one of the people there was asim chowdhury and uh looking at what he did one of the things was a, a sitcom called people just do nothing about a pirate radio station in brentford and the the cast of it uh, it's it's mainly mc grinder and mc beats who operate a a really terrible pirate radio show? It's all 
it's one of those comedies where it's all you know as if it's being filmed for a, okay so a it's more like so it's more like the office because for some reason yeah. when you described um the members at the radio station i was expecting something a bit more surreal and something a bit more green wing no no not quite it's got some incredibly minor um struggles and problems that they're trying to do and recently we watched an episode where they go out for their first time uh to ipswich and have to wonder you know do you need a passport to get up there <laughs> and, you know, like we, we're going far we go worldwide like motorway worldwide <laughs> so yeah it's been very impressive very good fun we're on the we're on the M25. We're basically in space at this point. It it really felt like that when uh. they went to a service station and how excited <laughs> they got about things like there's a computer, there's like an iPad <laughs> thing here where you can do co- you can get coffee and they don't even like coffee but they go to order it. Oh and god! Then, uh, their manager is an entrepreneur played by a sim chowdhury called Chabadi G. And Man, okay. His like... business ideas are like. Del Boy level bad, but somehow his execution is even worse. This, this uh, sounds like the low level kind of British mentality of the universe mm-hmm. that I've been I've been missing after twelve years in America. I kind of like in a country where everyone's like, "Yeah, we're just going to get in a car and we're going to drive for five hours to visit our parents." I, I miss like we're going to get in a Volkswagen and drive to a service station on the M1, and we're going to poke stuff like we're the apes in 2001 a space odyssey a hundred percent it's it's charming despite the utter awfulness and incompetence of them <laughs> so yeah i i definitely recommend that okay i'm gonna have to check that out <laughs> yeah i know over here the first three series were on netflix and we've had to switch over to the iplayer for the last two um so yeah anyway we're not here to talk about pirate radio we're here. Although we could. That. I mean, could we? I don't know. Like, uh. I guess the closest thing I've heard before that was Alan Parker, Urban Warrior, which, <laughs> again, wonderful, wonderful Simon Munnery mayhem. But, uh, like, I remember there was, like, this um, ITV, like, kids, like, drama called Wavelength, which was about a kid's, oh, God, um, yeah. a, a kid's pirate radio station, which, of course, it was the 90s. It was, you know, you can tell it. Okay, it's not as nihilistic as Biker Grove, but it still had oh, that let's... kind of... <laughs> I love telling Americans about the nihilistic hellscapes of Biker Grove and Grange Hill. It's like, oh, yeah. You... Everyone's wary you... about paintballing. Over yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, you had Saved by the Bell, and um, that one person gets ad- addicted to... Um, to, to um, energy pills. Let me tell you about Zamo. And his smack habit. <laughs> right. Anyway, this isn't a Zamo and his smack habit <laughs> podcast either. This isn't a biker. This isn't oh. a back grove. Okay. You can, you can t- sort out your own biker grove. All right, Ch- Charlie, Charlie, before we get on, give me your best backer grove. Be a grove. Backer. <laughs> okay, we've lost all our American listeners. Oh, well. Even you, Sean. Who pays for Twitter? Even though the court what? case on my, even though the court case on my saying Sean pays for Twitter is still going on, I'm saying it. Sean pays for Twitter. For shame, Sean. For shame, Sean. Oh God, who would do such a thing? 
only monsters. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, back on point now. Nearly 20 minutes in. Our first episode of the night is Star Trek The Next Generation, Season 4, Episode 12, titled The Wounded. And this is... And I realise we've not spoken of our theme. Our theme here is so self-indulgent. It's Miles's and Charlie's. So <laughs> this one is a Miles O'Brien episode of The Next Generation. It aired on the 28th of January, 1991. The teleplay was by Jerry Taylor. The story by Stuart Sharon, Sarah Sharon and Cy Chermack. And it was directed by Chip Chalmers, which is not a pseudonym. <laughs> I checked. Shocking. <laughs> Utterly shocking. Um, the UK and US number one hits are uh, the UK had John Lennon with Imagine and the US had Men at Work with Down Under. Now, I, Imagine is is fine, but it seems incredibly overplayed and incredibly trite. Now, I, I like the song. Um, mm. when it's sung by John Lennon and not by a bunch of celebrities on Zoom chat uh, during lockdown. Oh god! Um, I'm oh, I forgot about I'm, that. I'm surprised to see it this like you know in the number being a number one back in 1991. Yeah, I'm not sure what happened there. Yeah. Meanwhile, Down Under is a bloody banger. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not something that I would ever willingly listen to or say necessarily was good, but it's it's all right. You know, it's an entertaining time. You, you know, I, I'm up I once met a man from Brussels. He he was he was six foot four and full of muscles. I said, Do you speak of my language? He just smiled and gave me a Vegemite sandwich. Okay, the look on Charlie's face is, I'm quitting. I'm quitting right now. Call my agent. We've, oh God, uh, alas, I have no agent. And uh, yeah, to end now would be to stop just before our one year anniversary. So, Miles, the wounded, tell us what it's all about in five minutes, would you? And engage. So it turns out that the Federation and the Cardassians uh, were at war. But, you know, we never heard about that until, like, the whole peace treaty's been set up. And um, the Enterprise is near Cardassian space, and they get attacked by a Cardassian ship. Um, Captain Picard is able to convince his commander, uh, Gull Muttonchops. His real name is Gull Masset, but he has this weird kind of face tash that makes That's me so think Gull, Gull Muttonchops. To stand down, it turns out that a Federation ship uh, went into Cardassian space, blew up a science station two days ago. The ship is discovered to be the Phoenix, and which was commanded by Cap- uh, by Captain Benjamin Maxwell. And so, with the help of the Cardassians, the Enterprise is going to go in and look for the Phoenix. Uh, it turns out that a member of the Enterprise crew actually did serve with Captain Maxwell during the Cardassian War, and it turns out to be my DS9 MVP, Chief How Much Brian, Wide Miles O'Brien. Oh. Um, and so he who used to serve him on the Rutledge, which is a, a name for a ship, um, 
O'Brien is uh, kind of iffy with the, with some Cardassians to a broader board, along with Gull Mutton Chops. And uh, Picard kind of taps O'Brien for info on, on Maxwell. And O'Brien goes, yeah, I served with him. Effie's doing this. There's definitely a legit reason for why. They track the Phoenix down, but not before the Phoenix blows up a, a Cardassian military vessel and a transporter, which has now cost 700 lives. Uh, things are getting bad. And Gulmaset is um, wanting, he's wanting retribution. Picard is wanting to kind of stick with it. He wants to preserve the peace, which is the main reason why they're here. They counter the Phoenix. And O'Brien reveals that Maxwell's family was killed during a event called the Settlement Massacre, which he was also present at, where he killed for the first time, which is the reason for his anger with the Cardassians. Captain Maxwell stands down, beams on board, and he reveals that he discovers that the Cardassians are actually shipping weapons to the science stations just in case war starts up again. And he wants Picard to believe, he wants Picard to believe, and he wants Picard to to uncover the conspiracy that he he thinks there is. Picard's like, no, uh, we've got to follow the rules. We've got to main, even, even, if the, even if they're using the peace treaty to rearm, we have to respect the peace treaty and you have to stand down and we have to get you and the Phoenix back to Federation space. I will give you, I will keep, allow you to remain being captain and not clap you in irons and tow your ship back in disgrace. Maxwell says, okay, but the first opportunity, he takes the Phoenix and buggers off and Picard is left wondering, damn, should have considered that possibility. Um, they give chase and they find the Phoenix about to fire on a Cardassian ship, which um, Maxwell claims uh, is carrying weapons. But F. Picard defends the Cardassian ship the Phoenix has no choice but to fire on the Enterprise. O'Brien comes up onto the bridge and goes, hang on a second. I know a way to O'Brien myself onto the ship using Technobabble. And so using Technobabble, O'Brien beams onto the ship and confronts Maxwell unarmed in his ready room and manages to talk Maxwell into surrendering. Maxwell surrenders and is placed under locked guard in the, on the Enterprise, and both ships are returning to Federation space, but Picard lets on to Gull Mutton Chops that he knows that the Cardassians were smuggling weapons, but he felt that maintaining the peace was more important than starting another bloody war, and the, the Federation will be watching. Time. Nice. 14 seconds under. Damn. Yeah, so Miles, like they say, you can't make a thing about war without it being all exciting and glamorous. But this all felt like yeah. war. Fucking hell, it's stupid oh, and awful. Yeah, like um, yeah, um, this was this was really good. Yeah, like I, yeah. I admit, I, I went into it fairly early going, I, I've never seen this one. I don't remember this one at all. And it seems a little, a little meh. 
You know, the, the most exciting thing was seeing Mark Alamo as uh, Gold Mutton Chops. And then the weird mask the weird, thing the, that the they weird, were wearing. The weird virtual boy. Yeah, it feels like someone told them, if anyone punches you in the head, they're going <laughs> to break your nose and it'll go into your brain. You'll just be dead instantly. And they defended only against that. And then when that was gone, and the, at first I was watching it on a, a tablet for the first half of it. and was like, is he weirdly jowly? Like, is that yeah. some kind of weird, like, jowl condition that Golmaset has? And then putting it on for big screen, it's like, oh, those are tufts. Those, those oh, he's are... got weird tufts there. But, like, it's, it's fascinating seeing uh, takes on war, on, like, Miles being... I know sometimes in DS9 he's going to be a lot more um, avidly against the Cardis for what they did mm. and all of that. But here it feels like he'd made an amount of peace of going, yeah, it's not you, mate. It's... The whole fucking war. war. It's futile and awful. And I'm not angry at you individual Cardassians, but at this whole fucking situation. And it it was really interesting to see that it it kind of reminded me of some aspects of uh the last kind of year or so i've been slowly watching the tv show mash mm. which i feel is one of those really great shows which goes out of its way not to glamorize war but to condemn the death and the loss of life on both sides yeah and yeah, like I, I get you know with with O'Brien in DS Nine, you can kind of go, yeah, um, he lives right above a world where Cardassian atrocities are mm. kind of pushed in his face every kind of, day. Yeah, with people who have fought the Cardassian, who have fought Cardassian atrocities every day, and so he can't be as um, he can't be as next generation about it in DS9. I think that's kind of why he and Kira always seem to get on so well in that show. Mm. That they both have this kind of common ground which Kira doesn't have with Cisco because Cisco is literally her god figure. Yes. Well yeah, and also the the establishment that mm. kind of oh we're going to come in with our much smarter ways and we're going to be above all of this and talk reasonably about it or it's like yeah sometimes reason ain't ain't all that yeah. but in this case both miles's take and that picard's like yeah i know what you're i know what you're about i know what you're up to but if i find anything in there that's bad for both of us mm. maybe make it so there isn't anything in there so, you know <laughs> so the, the, you know, the actor who plays Gull Mutton Chops is going to go off to play Gull Ducat, oh, who is yeah. a much... He, I feel he plays a much more nuanced character here, because I feel like... Did you get the feeling that he's kind of co trying to cover up, or if he's genuinely on the level? But the, the trouble is, like, the Cardassians are kind of very much... I really don't want to say Putin's Russia. But they kind of have that feeling of going, oh, you're blaming us for this thing. Maybe you're the real people who are doing the thing. And so did you think that the three we got were on the level or if they were just kind of being snidely 
trying to make sure that their weapons shipping didn't get found out. It's a tricky one because they they were good in their interaction with the Federation. Like you did mm. have one of them going off having a bit of a sneak and a, a play at things. Yeah. And Massette was like, Oi, no, none of that, mate. No. But I think I think in their interactions, it's that thing of okay, we know we've been caught, we're just playing it through, and we will be, you know, polite, diplomatic, all of that. Um, but yeah, I think they were aware and complicit in the actions. It's just you've got to keep kayfabe at that point. Yeah. And not in a, oh, we're sneaky evil kind of way. But yeah, they're doing exactly what other people they're doing have what, done in they're, that, you know? they're doing what Picard is doing. Yeah. Which is we have to play, we have to play the great, we have to play a greater good, even yeah. though we hate it, to make sure that the war doesn't start again. Yeah, because the thing is, if they kick off, that is also bad. Yeah. You know, uh, if either side kicks off, it is all, it's all a bit fucked, you know? It's very Cold yeah. War kind of feeling. Like, I think we've seen episodes before where we've, we've had, like, former military kind of Starfleet commanders kind of go rogue mm. because for them, the war never, you know, the war never ended or, like, it's just a pretense for this. Yeah. But I liked how Maxwell never feels evil. He never feels like a bad, he never feels like a bad moral or yeah, a bad captain. He, he is just that person that never came home. Yeah. And, and I love how sparing they were with him as well. We didn't get him right away. No. And he's not, he's not like crazy. He's not Captain Ahab, like Doolally. Mm. He's, dedicated and he's focused and that's for that's making him go against his own moral code because he because of the you know an idea of the greater good yeah so with that in mind i just Miles. oh go on I was, I was gonna say um i gotta like call meanie oh like like this guy he's i think he's he like appeared as like a background extra in farpoint and yeah. and he's been just kind of like want like a ba- a regular background extra who they've given more and more to. It honestly, it's really impressive that they gave him, like they gave this side this like supporting side character, the big hero moment. Like it would be really easy to just have it be Picard or Riker, mm. but instead they take a character like a like a guest character, and give him. Like the emotional arc of the episode, they give him like the heroic talk down. Like it's really his, like he's, it's really his episode, and you can tell why the producers went. We want to put this guy in DS Nine. Oh God, yeah, he has, he, he has the chops, and it's not just that. Where all the other characters on Enter on Next Generation feel like kind of pulp archetypes. O'Brien just feels like a rake, like a regular guy. He reminds me. Have you ever read Dan Dare? Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. He he reminds me of Digby, in mm. which like in all this space insanity going on, he is the most not he is the most normal person because he's just like yeah I, I just want to get home to my wife and have a pint. 
everything else is the job. I just want to, I just want to do my job, go home, kiss my wife, tell I love her, have a pint and some lamb shanks. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, he is so good. And I know all of the actors in TNG have, have their moments and do some great Mm. things, but yeah, he is, he's one of those ones where you can see the, the elevation of him and completely deservingly so. So with that in mind, we have a big list of best to worst of Star Trek episodes and film currently. And these go all the way from our number one spot, which is deep space nine also featuring Cole Meany. Um, and that's the pilot episode titled emissary at the halfway point. We have TNG with the episode Data Law, where Data's dirtbag brother shows up. I forget if there's any O'Brien in that, but there's certainly a ton of Brent Spiner. And finally, at the very bottom, we have our new contender for the 60th spot with Star Trek Strange New Worlds Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach for one way you need to plug a boy into a death machine to make a city fly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you, you know who would have fixed the Death Boy City Machine? Fucking O'Brien, right? O'Brien. He he would just like put some gaffer tape. He he would put a gaffer tape over a cord and then just plug it into a potato and he'd be right done. Job done. Just need to tape the button down, you know? Just like <laughs> oh, so it's on. on and oh, there oh, you go. Turn, turns out there's a switch. To, did you notice the switch down here that says child death? No child death. And I switched it to no child death. Click back on to child death. So I just stuck a bit of plastic. To, yeah, to maybe a paper clip or something. Yeah. 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 He's good like that. So um, personally, I love that the lowest one now, instead of future tense, which is a whole lot of nothing, is one where you just have to go, we yeah, we have to plug in a, de- a boy into a death we, machine. We can get angry about this. Um I, <laughs> I mean, I mean, we can get angry about lifters where suffering cannot. We've reap. moved on from that, Miles. That whereas with, <laughs> whereas with huge temp, we can ju- we could just go. It's a bit crap, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, so man. this this was good. I know there's definitely better, but yeah, um, it was a solid episode of TNG. Ooh, so I guess okay. we're. At the, like where where do we fit? I a solid episode. I am I am looking at uh twenty five, which is the first two episodes of Discovery. Mm. Um, where you also have a, you know, we also have characters making a choice about how you react in a potential combat situation, and which way and how it all boils out. Oh dear, it's a difficult one because you've got the metal as hell Klingons with that. You've got some some incredibly good and bad decisions and some very nice drama. Like if you if you're going full action packed, then yeah, Vulcan Hello and Battle at the Binary Stars wins out. At the same time, I I do prefer this take on war. Of, mm. You know. We know that it's it's happened slash happening. Like there are back these background things, and we need to do our utmost best to make sure this shit don't go down again. 
And again, Mark Alamo, like I love him as as Goldacat. And he is very good fun here as well. Alright, so what do, what do you think? Do you think um I think it's a it's a difficult one. Personally, I might just have Vulcan Hello slightly above it. As okay. It's got some lovely spectacle. Um, but also I I do get it if you go, oh, those Dutch angles were a bit much. And it it doesn't give us the actual pitch of what Discovery really is at that point. So the episode directly below that is Errand of Mercy from TOS, which um has again a much less nuanced take at war. Yeah, it's again strangely comparable. It's you get a space castle and oh, Renfair planet and I do I, love that. I I would say what's more comparable that to this one to the wounded is Balance of Terror. But I'm not. I'm not. This it is, is nowhere near balance. This is not a top. This is not a top ten episode. Oh hell no! I think but, this is probably better than Errand of Mercy. Yeah, I, it it can talk with more nuance than Errand of Mercy, even if both of them are like, yeah, mate, war is shit. Let's not let's not do a war. And at least it doesn't have you know Kirk arguing that no, we should be allowed to irrationally murder each other. Although, yeah, you don't get the yeah. core and Kirk shipping that goes on. But no, but you you do get um some some nice sad singing. You do, you do. Okay, so are you good with it there in the in the I'm new twenty six? I'm good to sit was at new twenty six. Nice. Okay, so we have our first new entrant here, and they're in the top off, which you know is a a good showing. Yes, so our second episode of the night is a Charlie episode. Oh, yes. And oddly enough, it is a username that I have used for years now. Yeah, this is Star Trek, the original series, season one, episode seven, titled Charlie X. And often when I've used Charlie X as a username, I've had people ask me, Star Trek or X-Men? And I've been like, well, both. You know, I am I am hopefully morally better than both of those individuals. <laughs> um yeah, God, especially watching this, but we'll we'll get into that in a sec. First of all, the details. This episode aired on the 15th of September 1966. The teleplay was by Detective Comics Fontana. The story was by old G Rod himself, and it was directed by Lawrence Dobkin. The UK number one hit at the time this aired was Eleanor Rigby by The Beatles. And the US's was You Can't Hurry Love by The Supremes. And I love both of these tracks. Yup. Yeah, I know yep. Like I'm beyond the, the contrarian of The Beatles are overrated. They're rated about as much as they need be. It's fine. I, and- I maintain that The Beatles did more to kind of push the boundaries of what you could do with pop music mm. in under a decade than most other artists spent their entire career doing. Yeah, and Eleanor Rigby is is a very good track. But yeah. out of the two, I think You Can't ha- Hurry Love might be my favourite of these two. Uh, I'm going to say Eleanor Rigby. Fair enough. Like I'm, I'm good with a, a sad Beatles song like that, but 
I was like, you can't hurry love. I recognize that. I started playing it before, just before we, we set up the room and started this and was like, oh, fuck, son. Yep. Oh, it's this one. Oh, it's so good. It feels like summer. Um, a friend of mine, Andy, made an Andy's Horrible Summer CD mix CD for me years ago. And I still remember listening to it while driving driving back from a friend of mine's passing out at the Navy. Three of us went on a road trip up there just to watch it and congratulate him and then drive back. And it was a beautiful sunny day. The sun was pelting down. We were on the open road. Uh, I mean, the motorway, you know. You're, you're the, the M1 and the M5. Uh, I forget. I don't know. I don't drive. I was a passenger during all this, but playing that CD and there are some brilliant tracks and some terrible tracks. And this was on there. And it was like, none of us are good at singing, but you know, you're in that moment. You're just enjoying your time there. Were you doing a bit of carpool karaoke? A little, a little at times. I have didn't a do that to any of uh, Bruce Willis's tracks that were also on the mix CD. Oh, wait, wait. There was some Bruno on there? There was some Bruno on there. <laughs> okay, so I have a question about your carpool karaoke. Mm. If you saw James Corden on the open road, do you speed up or slow down? Fuck. If I think I can take him out, then speed up. <laughs> <laughs> wait, it, it depends, you know, on whether I think I've got the advantage here. <laughs> What did James Corden do to make everyone hate him? He's just a bit shit. Well, that okay, fair enough. Like, he was a bit shit in Teachers, but I think that was his most tolerable. Um, I think he's more tolerable, like his first Doctor Who. Um, not so much in his second Doctor Who. I can't remember which. It's it's the one where Matt Smith is stuck on Earth, and so he moves into a flat. Oh yeah, and um and um. James Corden is the uh, the comic relief roommate. Yeah, that that was fine. But then again, I, you got Matt Smith's, and like Matt Smith is you know infinitely more charming than James Corden. So yeah. Anyway, I I need to tell you all about Charlie X. Oh, man, this is an episode. All right. So, what is Charlie X's favorite issue of X Men? Oh god, it's it's going to be an unpleasant one, isn't it? It's going to be a Mark Miller Ultimate X Men or something. Nah, no, no, no. He he's clearly a Chuck Austin fan because of all because of all the implied fucking. I'm three issues into the Chuck Austin Uncanny X Men run, and it is not. Has it? Is it not as pleasantly weird yet? So it hasn't gotten weirdly horny. No, only mildly horny, and okay. that's mostly a nurse for a. a like a guy in a vegetative state who she really fancies. Do you know what's also mildly horny? Star Trek, the original series. <laughs> Only mildly. <laughs> and with that, engage. So, Charlie X. Um, Kirk is in his fancy duds as he's expecting an unusual passenger. Charlie Evans, who was stranded alone on a colony at three years old. And despite having been 14 years later, time's worn really badly on him as he's played by a man well over a decade older than that. Like, older than a CW actor being a teenager. Charlie is being dropped off by the crew of the science probe vessel Antares, who are a bit weird around Charlie. And Charlie himself is surprised and excited by everything on the ship. The concept of there being many people, 
automatic doors and especially Yeoman Rand. He's not seen women before and oh my, he's going to make it creepy. Bones checks over Charlie, who mentions that the other crew on the Antares didn't really like him. And then he proceeds to faff about watching everyone do their jobs awkwardly until he sees Yeoman Rand. He gives her a present, arranges what he thinks is a date and then slaps her on the ass. She tells him off and sends him to Kirk to explain his actions. Kirk, however, is too busy to give teenager lessons and hands him off to Bones and Spock. Spock is busy playing his lute in the canteen and Uhura sings along in what turns out to frankly be kind of a roast of Spock. (laughs) And when Charlie arrives and is trying desperately to get Rand's attention, Uhura starts singing about him until he looks all weird and stops any music from happening. Then he does some close-up magic just to solidify his credentials as a real creep. Charlie asks Kirk about the whole kind of sexual harassment thing, and Kirk gets so awkward. He's He does say there's no right way to hit a woman. And luckily, before he has to elaborate further, is saved by the bell. Uh, the Antares was on the blower, but when they scan for it, it is just debris now. Also, the Thanksgiving synthetic meatloaf has turned into literal turkeys, which is less tragic, but still really weird. Uh, We get some 3D chess action with Spock being bested by Kirk's unorthodox style. And Charlie comes in. Kirk, as ever, flees any responsibility of having (laughs) to deal with his child, leaving Spock to easily best him at chess. Charlie gets really upset. And once Spock's gone, he melts for chess pieces. Rand tries to introduce Charlie to a yeoman, a junior yeoman who's actually his age, and he doesn't care. He really wants yeoman Rand. And she talks to Kirk and needs him to step in. Fine. Fine. If you're going to do that, Kirk's going to have words first about the chess pieces, the important things, and then about being a creep to Rand. He decides, right, time to get all of this energy out at the gym. Kirk takes his top off, and it's time to do some falls, some rolls, and some throws. Charlie is so rubbish at this, prompting laughter from a crewman called Sam, who Charlie uses his freaky mind powers on and sends him to the cornfield. Security gets called, and he disappears their phasers and every phaser on the ship. Kirk, Spock, and Bones are all I, I feel that by now, there might be some warning signs that Charlie X might be a bad one. He might be a wrong one. And yeah, unfortunately, even he admits that. He says, yes, he killed the people on the Antares because they weren't nice to him. Kirk wants to keep Charlie away from the colony they were going to drop him off because that's even more people and they don't need to deal with this shit. So... Charlie starts messing with the ship to stop them changing course. He shocks Uhura through the control panels. He messes with the helm. He turns the young yeoman into an iguana. And then he goes to see uh, Rand. He gets even creepier than before (laughs) somehow. And when she calls for backup, he makes her vanish too. Any attempt to contain Charlie have failed. He's in charge of a ship for his psychic powers, and Kirk's realized he's stopped disappearing people, so there must be a limit. Let's mess with it. Spock, Bones, start pressing all the buttons everywhere. Charlie's having real problems, and he's flinging Kirk about. Kirk is going to hit a boy, but it's just not working right now. Rand reappears because he can't keep all these powers active at once, and then a glowy ship appears along with a big giant head. The people that Charlie actually comes from take him back 
and fuck off without really a sufficient apology. The end. Ten seconds. You had ten seconds to go. You did it. Oh my god. <laughs> wow. So yeah, that was uh I realized so many of these recaps for me just end with yeah, and these people fuck off. Yeah, that's just generally kind of how Star Trek works. Especially um, will... in that era. I, I'm just gonna say if we were if we were scoring these podcasts, I mean the recaps, I would give you points for your Twilight Zone reference, but I would deduct you points for not saying incoming transmission from the big giant head. I well, yeah, I figured that might be a bit much. But yeah, there is a literal big glowing head mm. in there. It's very weird. And my it's... word. I, I've seen bits of this episode before. I was not prepared for how much of a creep Charlie X is. No, um, I forgot how... I forgot how rapey he gets at the very mm. end. It, it's, um... It's kind of... It's just... It's really uncomfortable. Uh, yeah. I get how he's never seen a woman before. Um, being, you know, the rest of his colony were all wiped out. And all of that, but there are there is no excuse, really. It is very unpleasant, and yeah, like Rand does her like does her best to calmly let him down. Yeah, tries to go. Here's a woman your own age. Maybe hang out with her and see how things go. And no, he is just full on their sexual harassment, weird obsessive stalker. Like, that is very unpleasant. I think this is our first appearance of uh, Kirk's green number. Love it. Love the fancy duds. Also, the kind of slightly ratty, not very good jumpers that everyone's wearing, which yeah. don't all match either, you know? And Bur Bones is slightly more medical kind of one versus Spock's. It's, it's a bit... Like, it feels like uniforms they got out of a box somewhere on set, you know? It's uh, it's impressive. As it, as of Jan Terrors' badges, which look like they just cut them out of cardboard and stuck them on. So, um, I, I need to ask, given hmm. the appearance of Charlie X, yeah. what are your opinions on Dawson's Creek? Are you referring to how he looks like Dawson's, like like an older, weirder Dawson? He, he looks like the older. He looks like the Dawson. Yeah. So, so Dawson's Creek and I have an odd relationship. I, I was recommended by my now late former employer Steve Bamford to watch two things on Channel Four: Babylon Five. And Dawson's Creek, both of which aired on Sundays. <laughs> and, and it was an odd pairing. And I didn't really bother with either much. Like, I saw little bits of both. But with Dawson's Creek, when I was in a bit of a teen drama mood, I was massively revamping one of my projects to be a bit more of that ilk. I secretly, I think slightly drunkenly, bought a DVD box set of season one of Dawson's Creek and shamefacedly hid it from my little brother who would often raid <laughs> my DVD cupboard for things to uh, to watch and would judge me accordingly. And yeah, I hid Dawson's Creek like it was some kind of illicit porn or something. And I enjoyed 
it for the most part. Like it, it is bad in many places, but it's an interesting progenitor to a lot of teen drama that followed, and a lot of better teen drama like your Buffy's, your Gilmore's, I, your Rose. I, I have so to on. give Dawson's Creek credit for being the only uh, teen drama where your main character is the you know, is the loser romantic rival. Oh, he is a complete piece of shit. I do not care for Dawson Leary. I am sad that his father, played by televisions for Flash, died in a in a car accident. And I find it endlessly hilarious that not only does he not get the girl at the end, the girl ends like uh, Joey ends up with Pacey and both are great together. And then Dawson spends the entire rest of his life show running a TV drama about Dawson's Creek. But what if Dawson got the girl and uh, knowing that this is his eternal hell, that he's doing that, and Joey and Pacey are going to watch it, and that's it. He will never, never have that life that he dreams for. Uh, good, good. Long may good. he suffer. But this but, is not a Dawson's Creek podcast. Sorry, I have more opinions than Dawson's Creek, but I will stove them. Um, yeah, Charlie Evans. We don't actually get Charlie X in this, and it. I, I remember hearing there were a lot of a lot of back and forths about what they were going to name it. Charlie X feels like a five p.m. Fuck it, we're calling it Charlie X. We're done. I, I do want to say uh, this episode has probably one of my favorite scenes in all the classic Trek. Which is the uh, rec room scene with Spock and Uhura's impromptu jam session. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it I... felt like she was mocking him a bit by singing over his stuff. And then then they both got into it and were kind of playing and singing together, even if she was a bit kind of. I, I, I don't know. I kind of got the feeling that she's just sort of singing about how sexy Vulcans are. Kind of. Yeah, it's that thing of I'm hoping this isn't done mockingly, but there's a de there's a definite teasing of of Spock at, here. At, at the same time, Spock is kind of you know you could tell us this early on in the show because you know Spock is Spock is smiling a little bit. Yeah, as they're, as they're doing it, he's cut. I think watching them both as characters in Strange New Worlds, these are people that have been in the crew together mm. for so long that this is this is all right like yeah. she knows that while she's having a bit of fun here um he's also kind of yeah he well, he's playing along he's not going yeah i yeah. don't get any of this he he's he's not getting huffy he's just he's he's in on it he's down with it mm. this is one of the things i think kind of gets phased out or after like the earlier episodes where there is more of a sense to show what life is like on ship that it's not all just but i think that you know this is some of the stuff that never really kind of works in tos which quickly becomes the kirk spock and mccoy show and never kind of i think it's trying for the ensemble that we'll get in shows like tng and ds9 mm. where we see that these characters kind of have a sort of a how life is for these essentially these sailors who are away from any kind of inhabited normalcy for long periods of time. Yeah, we get things like Balance of Terror 
seeing mm. uh, seeing some people that aren't the main crew and how they have their own life, their own things going on. You know, we see stuff like um oh, I'm trying to remember now. We've had a, a couple of times of seeing the rec room and of seeing folks just living out there. Um conscience of the king. That's it. Yes, conscience of the king. We get we get a bit of that. And again, it's it's charming and it's nice seeing how you get a little bit of downtime and a little mm. bit of I they're not always going to be at their stations dealing with I, this. I like the little mention of Thanksgiving. Mm. Like F, We have know, missed this being a Thanksgiving episode now. Yeah. Like um okay, even though problematic elements of thanksgiving to holy yep. aside as someone who has kind of had to take on thanksgiving as something that you do mm. admittedly like how thanksgiving works for my wife and i um is like it's not about and it's not about any of the kind of like history it's not about like the culture it's just you know it's a day for the two of us to cook a nice because before a lot of things, my wife would work nights at her at her job over the holiday season, so she would be like going to work at eleven, going you know coming home at like seven a.m., and so we'd never get to see each other. And because Thanksgiving is before Black Friday, Americans love Black Friday. What Thanksgiving became would be the day that I would cook like the the tofurkey and the whole all the trimmings for Thanksgiving. And normally they stream episodes of mystery science Theater 3000 for Turkey day. Cause it, it was a, a big Turkey day marathon. So it would be uh, Turkey and MST 3k for the whole of Thanksgiving. Occasionally there would be some NaNoWriMo writing done in between Turkey and robots riffing bad movies. Wow. Yeah, I I always forget you've got Nanorama at that time. Yeah. So so do you think that um Charlie X would get a fedora if he could? Yes, 100%. He would get a fedora, he'd probably get a cape and yeah, start trying to neg any of the women around there. Like he he turned some playing cards into odd photos of Yeoman Rand. Luckily, not anything more than just Production photos, promotion, from, yeah, promotional, yeah. Black, promotional shots, yeah, yeah. But it's still weird, and everyone just laughs along at first. It's like, oh, look at this kid doing. Look at this twenty-nine-year-old kid doing tricks with cards. So yeah, this is just really uncomfortable. And yeah, um, God, I swear this is I, this is a weird one. For yeah, I, I I like Kirk kind of being the world's worst dad by not wanting to talk. <laughs> Talking about yeah. the birds and the bees, but I think this might be the first episode where we've had lines spoken by Kirk that I can imagine being said by Zap Brannigan in Futurama. Yeah. Uh, I love how awful he is with any of that. Just, no, I'm running. <laughs> like, oh, responsibility, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, it, it was very good fun. <laughs> I, I have to control the ship, and um, I, I like how they defeated Charlie by going, right. Let's just make the let's just turn everything on and make the power bill really expensive so we have to leave instead of pay for it. Yeah. Yeah, it's that was very good fun. So as far as this episode goes, there are some fun elements. 
at the same time, like, Charlie is just a creep. Yeah. And the Thacians, we don't get much really with that of, you know, what their deal is and why why Charlie X, you know, he's he's kind of like the um the Beyonder in Brian Michael Bentz's Illuminati miniseries, where he he's a kid who's smashing toys together in a virtual New York and sees every everyone as a plaything and then has to just be sent away. Now I'm just imagining uh, Charlie X in like Secret Wars 2 where he want he doesn't know how to poop. Oh, and so uh, so in, in Secret Wars 2, Spider-Man has to teach this cosmic being how to poop. I'm now kind of imagining Charlie not knowing how to poop and Kirk immediately putting Spock on that job. Oh, God, yeah. I don't know. Maybe Bones. <laughs> like, Bones, you're a doctor. Teach this. Teach the 29-year-old teenager how to poop. I, I was surprised that, like, they try and make it seem like a sad ending. Yeah. Like the crew is sad that Charlie gets has to get taken back to live with these people who can't love him like he needs to be. I mean, he oh, he needs yeah. something certainly. He definitely he... needs to have some more Greco-Roman wrestling done to him. <laughs> I I saw a memory alpha. I think this is the only time we see that gym. It that is a damn <laughs> shame. That was great that, fun. That's that a great gym. I like the like they have the specific. They have the gymnastics arch. And then they have like the weird arm thing, which I think is meant to be like the you pull it, but it's just like two levers. Like pull one lever, pull two lever. Unless that's like a function on the ship that you have to do continuously to stop the ship from blowing up. So there's this poor guy in lever detail who is just like pull lever, pull lever, pull lever. Meanwhile, Kirk is like, right, I'm just gonna wear some. Uh, I'm going to wear some tracksuit bottoms. Some Starfleet branded tracksuit bottoms. And I'm going to I'm gonna chuck a guy around. He, he did some of the patented Kirk fight moves, which is um, a roll and a kick. Yeah. I'm sure, I forget if it was the Decipher games or the last Unicorn games, Star Trek TNG role-playing game that had Starfleet martial arts as 100% just what Kirk does in fights. That is the the standard martial art. Of Star I, Trek. I, I think in Star Trek, um, the martial arts is ba- is basic wrestling moves. Yeah, like you got to hit, you got to make the hit, you got to hit the floor. Look at convincing, two handed punch. Always you know, a jump off the rope. You know, like a you do the ropes. You know, to <sighs> do the jump off the wall. Like I'm sure at some point, Spock has had to be has had to do a cage match and had to hit a guy with a steel chair. Yeah. Yeah, I so I was watching this episode fairly early in. I was like, it's happened again. Like the Miles is in this are good, and the Charlie in this is terrible. <laughs> you know, like with our Christmas episode where you gifted me an episode you genuinely thought <laughs> I you were sharing a love of yours with me, and I gave you something that until last episode was our lowest episode in the entirety well, of casual track. Well, the the, the answer to this is simple. I'm a better human being than you are. Wow. I mean, it's your birthday, so I, I feel like it <laughs> repeated that. You know, that'd feel like a real a real heel move. Um, uh, but we so... have to maintain keyfabe. 
We do, we do. Uh, so, so that means putting it on the list. Yes. So yeah, I mean, it's that thing of it's not bad, but Charlie is awful. Like there are a couple of fun moments, like Kirk running away. We get some some canon establishing moments, like three D chess. It's, um, it's, but it's not. It's not bad it's just that the how it approaches sexual politics mm. is so 60s is so 60s it just kind of feels uncomfortable it feels unpleasant definitely um yeah at the moment i'm hovering around 45 40 44 45 kind of territory because we've got cat's paw with kitten kong and we've got the changeling with kirk's metal son who you know, again, he doesn't really care for the Metal Sun much. He no. just has this Metal Sun that he but, now has to deal with. But clearly, um, Kirk isn't going to have uh, Nomad do some Greco-Roman rest. Okay, one last thing. Oh, that'd be so Kirk, good. Kirk was being a dipshit, was being a ship, when he's doing the the, the, the fighting with Charlie, and he's clearly not paying long. He's like, yeah, yeah, establish my dominance. I'm top dog. <laughs> Who's your Kirk daddy? Who's your captain daddy? Who's your captain daddy? Oh no, maybe it is exactly that. Of like, <laughs> I'm going to best you at, at wrestling, <laughs> and then you'll know that I'm better than you. And, now, and I will assert my dominance with a shoulder throw. Although, after they sorted out the episode, the changeling, by doing a roll and kicking Nomad out of the ship. Best episode, better than emissary. Oh, no point. No, no it would notes. be way higher than forty-five if that's how they dealt with Nomad. All right, I I'm gonna agree with you. I think it's definitely. I would say, I would say this is better than the Changeling. Okay. Like uncomfortable elements aside, there is a lot I like about the episode. Like I do like the sense of life on board ship. Yeah. Um, I do. I do like. Uh, Kirk, um, who's kind of always been, who's kind of been turned into a cliche of like this, uh, this womanizing, um, gallivanting around the universe, just being like, um, um, you, you, you see, you see, Kiff, there are girls, and girls are icky. Kiff, I have mated with a woman. Inform the men. Hmm, I love the lure. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a a, a good. A good amount of that. Okay, so is this better or worse than Cat's Paw? <sighs> well, now again, you've I... got some slightly retrograde things with um, the the wife out of a couple of wizards who are who are in there. But you've got like you've got a haunted house or at least a haunted castle, and you've got the three witches. Unfortunately, right now, Willie. Our lovely ship's cat is lying right underneath my chair because it's it's throwing up a lot of shade for him to kind of curl up in. Unfortunately, he's also lying on the power battery for my laptop, so I get the feeling if I if I say Charlie X is better than Cat's paw, he's just gonna unplug me. Okay, I we can respect for Cat's wishes. You know, it's a good a good way of objectively judging <laughs> it's a, this it's Star a good... Trek. It's a good it's a good tiebreaker. I have to say this, otherwise the cat will fucking end me. True. Okay. Oh, and yeah, you don't want to have that. 
No, he's a good kid. He's a good shit cat. Yeah, we've had a random neighborhood cat pop into the house a couple of times oh. in the last few days. And we often get those when we got the back door open. Oh, no, I have no I, I idea remember... who he is, but I've not asked him about his opinions on Star Trek. So I, I, I remember how it was like, you know, we would get neighbor cats kind of popping into our back garden all the time when I lived in Brighton. Yeah, love a good way with Traveller. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, this one doesn't really hasn't really acknowledged any of our presences, but just scouted the place. Okay. Gone under our sofas. Do you um, do you give do you give him uh do you give him food? Oh my no. No, he's a uh, neighbor cat. No, we don't want to you know break the the relationship you, in that you, kind of way. You don't want to unintentionally own a cat in that way. Yes, yeah, exactly. No, un- understandable. Okay, so yeah, I would say uh yep, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna go with forty yep, forty-five. Forty-five for Charlie X. We've got a little block of TOS ones there. We'll see if, if that stays or if that ends up getting broken up as we uh I guess purposefully start aiming towards the bottom uh with some of our episode choices in the in the future. A terrifying thing, but we can't we can't just be watching the good stuff, otherwise we, we, it's going to be We are we are gonna have to watch um, Picard season two and some Enterprise. Oh, I've got some topic ideas for Picard season two. Just Oh away. god. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> eventually Nemesis eventually we will get round to Nemesis. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. Anyway, um yeah, that's a second episode done. And so, our final episode of the night, we're back to Miles O'Brien, because let's face it, there's there's one slightly shady Charlie. There's always, <laughs> always a wonderful Miles O'Brien out there. So let's, you know, let's treat you all to a second one of those. We have Star Trek Deep Space Nine Season 1, Episode 6, titled Captive Pursuit. It aired on the 30th of January, 1993. Teleplay by Joel Sherman Donner and Michael Piller. Story by Joel Sherman Donner and directed by Corey Allen. Now, the UK and US number one hits. The UK had D. Reams' Things Can Only Get Better featuring dreamy scientist Brian Cox. And uh, the US had Brian Adams, Rod Stewart and Sting with All for Love. Well, I, I I think that at this point, uh, D Reams and things can only get better is to Brian Cox what that one episode of 80s Doctor Who was to Martin Clunes, which is the thing to play on when you know, before they were famous. Yes. Yeah. So I remember kind of enjoying it and then it got used for new labor and. Oh, oh. It. I forgot they um they they New Labour did to the song what Glee did to Don't Stop Believing by Journey a 100%. song a song I love but yep. then I this like Glee got its little Glee club mitts on it and so at every night at work for a oh, for, no. my, for every work function I had to attend at the hotel when I worked at the hotel every night the DJ would play. Don't stop believing. So I got tired of that song. 
Yeah, it's one I... to use sparingly and ideally at the end of the finale of Sopranos. Mm. And um, yeah, the Glee version just, it's not a song with edge or anything, but let's homogenize it and make it somehow even more toothless. I forgot that Tony Blair and his champagne socialists use this for um for new labor. So I I had to say I hate it. I hate it now. Yeah. Worst song ever made. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's terrible. But yeah, th- like, things couldn't get worse than they were with the Tories. But like, also, yeah. he paved a lot of the way. You know, like, again, as Thatcher said, you know, one of her greatest achievements was Tony was Blair. Tony Blair. And it's like that tells you all you need to know. There. Pretty much, like you know. I, I get people who, who say that they can't vote for such and such or such and such because he doesn't represent them. And I've said some, look, I voted for Tony Blair, a man mm-hmm. I wanted to see tried in The Hague for war crimes. Yeah. Um, because the Tories getting in will be much worse for England. Mm. You, you you do it. You know, it's uh, it sucks, but you do it. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So, uh, next up with the All for Love. Now, it's... it's- Oh, it's, it's Brian Adams. Every it's Brian, so Adams, Brian song Adams is the every Brian Adams song is the most Brian Adams. Like, is was this for a film? Yeah, yeah. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. No, no, that's anything I do. Oh shit, no, every- I don't know. I've got them mixed up. Wait, so did you listen to everything I do? I do it for you. Yeah, I just I went on automatic. <laughs> Which one was all for love? Um. It, it was the most Brian Adams song. I mean, they all are. You said, yeah, yes, Three Musketeers. There you go. Okay. Pretty much the same but thing. I, did, did, did Brian Adams just write songs which could play for music videos to promote um, lackluster 90s swashbucklers? Apparently so. Oh, my word. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Man, okay. Now, did, did, now I want to see if Brian Adams did a song tie into The Man in the Iron Mask. That'd be great. That'd be kind of cool. Or yeah. the County Mon- or the County Monte Cristo, uh, starring that the crazy guy from the QAnon movie that came out a few weeks ago. Oh, Jesus, he Caviezel was in that. Sorry, and also Je- he was Jesus. Yeah, Je- um, yeah. <laughs> it was an the exclamation, guy- but I realize, yeah, also, yeah, um, also Jesus. Yeah, the guy Jim could Jim could <sighs> go fuck you. Jim could go fuck yourself. Yeah, um, if people so- haven't heard the QAnon Anonymous podcast episode on jim caviezel it is amazing like the man is the most unhinged like and the sad thing is he's the second worst uh jim english pop culture has given us and the first is jimmy savile wow that's that's quite a yeah quite a um thankfully this is not a jimmy savile podcast it's a star trek podcast yeah, God, who would even do that? Anyway. Behind uh, the bastards. True. I need to know what Captive Pursuit is about, as I've seen it in the last 48 hours and have no actual memory. Uh, so, Miles, for me and for the audience at home, please refresh us on it and begin the hunt. Okay, so you know how the most dangerous game is actually man. Now, yep. imagine imagine if um, aliens genetically created, like, other aliens who were sentient and intelligent to hunt for sport. Can you imagine that? Wow. 
I can't imagine that. Okay, well, imagine that. Imagine that happens in an episode of Star Trek, and our characters get involved. One of our characters, Miles O'Brien, befriends this alien and um, helps him escape. End! Oh. Oh, you, you need me to do this seriously now, don't you? I mean... <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, fine. Don't reset the timer. Okay. Anyway. Um, a ship comes through the wormhole to DS9. It's the first Gamma Quadrant. Is it Gamma or Delta? I get them mixed gamma. up. Gamma. It's the first Gamma Quadrant ship <laughs> to come through the wormhole, and everyone's everyone's like, "Crap, we gotta not fuck this up." Like Miles is doing with the recap. Um, there's a lizard-like guy on the ship, and he he just kind of. You know, he just kind of like rear-ended into a wormhole, as you do, and ended up in the Alpha Quadrant. Um, they they bring the ship on board. O'Brien seems to have gone like a rapport with him, calling him friend over the the communicators. So Cisco sends O'Brien down to fix the ship. Um, O'Brien finds an empty ship, except it isn't because the guy has like predator cloak technology, predator camouflage technology. And he refers to himself only as Tosk. Is that his name? Is that his species? Is that his home planet? Just Tosk, I guess. Um, Tosk seems very skittish, but he seems to be getting along with O'Brien. So they give him a they give him a, a place to a pad to crash while they fix the ship. Tosk starts gets caught hacking the computer, so Odo throws him in the neck, and then suddenly another ship uh, turns up, um, who are after Tosk. And these guys in full red turn up. Um, if you're English and you're familiar with how hunting goes, you know these are the bad guys. And so they immediately start shooting the place up. Um, a gunfight ensues. It turns out they're after Tosk. And they find him in the prison. And they're like, okay, hunt's over. This is disappointing, Tosk. <laughs> um, it turns out that this alien race hunt Tosks for sport. And Cisco's like, yeah, no, no, that, no, not this doing cool. this. This ain't cool. Um, and the hunter's like, we're just going to take him back alive. And we're going to keep him alive for people to shame him. And for for the worst thing a task can, be, can happen is to be brought back alive. O'Brien's like, we, we can't do this. Tosk, plead for asylum. And Tosk's like, no, uh, this is my culture. I can't. I can't hide, you know, even if I will be, you know, shamed the rest of my life, I need to go back because this is how our society functions. And O'Brien goes, sod it. I'm going to O'Brien away out of the situation. O'Brien's now announced the saying. And so he helps Tosk escape and is willing to sacrifice his career with Starfleet to do so. Uh, he helps Tosk escape. And the hunt and Tosk escapes through the wormhole. The hunters leave, being told explicitly by Cisco not to come here again. <clears throat> and um, Cisco chews out O'Brien, who accepts his punishment, but also notices that Cisco didn't catch O'Brien and Tosk just as easily as he could have. Cisco says no more about it, but we'll let it slide for now. Hell and yeah. 54 seconds left. Damn. Even with all of even, that. Even with the faffing about. Even with the faffing. That's, that's, hang on. 
this this isn't as uh it's still not my top like leap which is the um that one episode of star trek discovery which yeah. i did with minutes to spare yeah yeah that one worked that one went pretty well um yeah so ha- i have a question yeah have you ever hunted a man for sport i was part of the scouts Okay, so, so you yes. know, outside so, of yes. we, yeah, yeah, we went yeah. Lord for Flies in in some camping trips, and there was definitely some hunting of man for sport in those. How um, about the, you? The, um, yes, but only because the sport is getting this guy to pay his goddamn bar tab. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, there was also a hunt of a hunt of the occasional shoplifter at um at the comic shop back when i was there and hugh was a very good huntsman in that regard why did he stun them with his with his musk basically uh, he okay, was a very yeah. imposing presence look uh, if i got if, and customers look if i got jumped by hugh who was a very old beardy man i would also just drop all my comics on the floor and go yep you're right i nicked them even though i just bought them i nicked them just get away from me yeah yeah bless him yeah so yeah they like the actor of the of tosk in this i felt he was giving very good lizard yeah you know he was constantly all kind of twitchy he He, with the whole being a hunted thing he was always uh, eyes not even in the conversation but at anything to get out and um miles there's a there was a cultural issue here there was a problem that this society hunts people for sport and both participants both the hunter and huntee are um participant and willing consensual participant of this practice which starfleet would find abhorrent and they find a way to keep their moral center by not letting a guy get murdered or have an eternity of humiliation they work around the situation. So when Starfleet encounters a planet where you need to plug a boy into a machine <laughs> to kill them and power their sky cities, why do they just leave? I don't. I I don't know. Maybe if um, the hunters have said we need Tosk because we got to plug him into this lizard death machine to power our sky city. Would Cisco gone? All right then. Well, I guess we got previous with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> may- maybe. May- I'm sorry. So every time I shift my chair, I accidentally give my cat a kick. Oh no! Not intentionally, but it's just like I. He's he's like I said, he's right there. Um, casual trait does not condone um, violence towards animals. It does, however, condone the apl- judicial application of scritches. Yes. There we go. There we go. He's happy. Yeah. I like I loved that Miles O'Brien got a friend. Oh yeah. Like um, this is before his his friendship with uh Bashir. Yeah. So it was that feeling of oh, oh he's oh. got a friend. 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 So yeah, that it, was quite it, charming. It is a friend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I I'd like to think that 
you know, if they met again, Tosk would be all right. You know, if he was a bit calmer, like, oh, I've, I've got a lead of, you know, a couple of days. I'll chill, have a yeah, drink, and then be on the road again. I think, like, O'Brien is just that character who you can, you know, you can see making friends easily. Yes. And then just, like, you know, him just going, I'm just going to put my career at risk for a friend, for a lizard friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there was some nice use of the, the old Cardassian technology mm. of going, O'Brien knows his shit. He knows this station, and he knows Cardassian technology, so he can get an advantage and get through this. And I love that even with all of that, it's like, but we both know, like both he and um, and Cisco know enough about all of this to know that Cisco really could have caught him yeah. if he wanted to catch him. It, it, and it's we're getting the... those early glimpses of Cisco going like, I'm not going to break the rules, but I'm just not going to apply them here. I'm just going to bend. It, it did give me, this did give me a really fantastic moment of comedy from Odo. Mm. When Cisco tells Odo to just kind of take it slow, and Odo's like, oh, okay, and then proceeds to slowly walk to the turbo lift, kind of stop, just making sure there's nothing on his shoes, walk slowly to the turbo lift, just kind of stand in the turbo lift, just kind of enjoy the moment. That this, was I, good. I, I w- would worry with him that he is the kind of person who would be complicit in these kind of actions, but here he reads the room. I... It, like I, I don't as much as I like Odo as a character. Hmm. This definitely feels like a more, you know, this is season one, so we're still kind of working out the characters. Yeah, and you know, it's definitely. I think Odo. I don't want to say Odo is like Judge Dread, but I think Odo is kind of like Judge Dread, in which is he upholds the law even if he knows the law is bad. He upholds the law because it's the law for the you know for the society they're in. Yeah, well, and it's definitely well, he's more law and order than just judicial. You know, screw you know, screw the orders. I am the law. Yeah, for using the classic nine point alignment grid, he is lawful neutral. Mm. He cares about laws more than most else. He's someone who is often searching for his identity and finds it in the keeping of order and peace. And it's how he was fine being like relatively fine being complicit with the fascist order that was there on Empoknor and where quite often you will see him go down the route of, I know this is beneficial to no one, but I kind of got to. Yeah. And, and that can be worked around and at his best, he will find ways to stretch the rules and the law as as needs be for morality, but if I if there is anyone I would expect to dob them all in just for the sake of the letter of the law, mm. it's going to be Odo, you yeah. know. And um and yeah, I loved that he was complicit in this. I did have a moment where there was a close enough close up. I was like, that ear makeup must have been really awkward. I I think that definitely they are working that that prosthetic. For the first year of the show, because he looks a lot, di- he looks a lot more gaunt, yeah, in his earlier appearances than he does later on. I wonder if they if they started loosening things up a bit to provide a little more comfort mm. to him, because you're in that all all through shooting, 
yeah with, with a, a you know what 22 plus episode season of of television you're going to have to start prioritizing the comfort of your, of yeah. your workers there and um yeah it was it was a good fun time i i think when you messaged me about this cause i saw this one last and I saw uh, The Wounded first. I, I think you went the other way around with that. I saw this one first because this is one I have watched um, like a few years ago. Like, I think like during COVID, before COVID. Yeah. I was slowly watching the first... Like, I got as far as uh, season four, The Visitor. And I'm like, I'm not going to watch that because I know it's going to destroy me emotionally. I don't feel like that right now. So that was how far my rewatch of DS9 had gotten. Huh. And so I, my, I remember my quarantine rewatch was up to House of Quark. Oh, this one, this wasn't a quarantine rewatch. Yeah, that was my failed quarantine. My failed Star Trek quarantine rewatch was uh, TNG, and I did not make it through season one. Um, Understandable. I've been slowly watching the show over the few years. Unfortunately, Ferengi comedy episodes keep getting in the way, and I'm just like, I don't want to watch this. So you messaged me and said, oh, it's one from before they figured out what DS9 was. Mm. And I was bracing myself for this. I was like, oh, how awkward is it going to be? How cringeworthy is it going to be? And it was a good one. Mm. Like It was, you know, you often get a most dangerous game. I think I looked at this and went, oh. I think one of the one of the lists of themes that I've got on our on our sheet somewhere is the most dangerous game. But we can there are probably enough other oh, episodes yeah. that do a most I, dangerous I think game. The most we... dangerous game in terms of science fiction shows is probably one of the more ripped off um concepts. Well, similar to Enemy Mine as well. Yeah. Which we've definitely got a full episode of Casual Drexworth of Enemy Mines to do. Let's let's you and him fight. I enjoyed it all. When I saw the huntsmans with the helms with the kind of big blocky helmets, I was like, Are these breen? And no, oh, no, they're no. not. It's like no, no, I, no, I will no. still not know what a breen really is aside from Boosh, Boosh. from from Return of the Jedi. Um, the 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 cost well, I remember the old red outfit and then the big blocky helmet. Hmm. Have you ever seen the eighties show V? No. Um, I saw the, the first couple of episodes of the, nope. of the remake. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, the original, the original eighties V is this incredibly like eight, very eighties, but also, um, basically lizards come to Earth disguised as humans, um, and they're gonna eat us. And oh, by the way, this is all a metaphor for fascism. Um, but, um. But what V the eighty show does well, it does it shows all the different um, cultures and classes coming together to fight a greater threat. Um, so you have like African American street hustlers working alongside police officers in this resistance against space lizards. Whereas the V remake is the whitest show on television, mm. and it hurts it. Um, but the the visitors they have like these all red outfits and these kind of black blocky helmets for like the storm like the the alien like stormtroopers and that's what these reminded me of. Oh, and English huntsman bullshit. Yeah, and um, yeah. So you know what? You know what may, will make me hate a race of people? 
in a show make me think of bloody posh Oxbridge hunters and mm. the abominable things they do for hunting. Yeah. Yeah, fuck them. Yeah. You know, it's it's um I, I've had to kind of change like attitudes and opinions on hunting are very much different here in the States. Yeah. Where people do hunt things like deer and elk. And for some people it is about just I want to kill something. And um my overlord Trump hasn't told me to go out and shoot something for the sake of Q. And some people are like this will feed my family yeah. over the winter. So I have had to change, especially in Wisconsin, where there is a lot of hunting. I have had to change my very knee-jerk reaction to how hunting is seen and perceived. But this is very much... Hunting as seen here is hunting as sport and hunting as blood sport, which I yeah. just despise on morality. Definitely. Like it, it is... Yeah, well, that's that's definitely that kind of... I get that this is culturally part of their thing, and Tosk has been raised as this. It, it don't make it right. No. And uh, the, the crew do their best to limit the, the casualty and the, the like negative impact on Tosk's life and give him a, a kind of good head start and escape. And all that they're working within that system, despite it being rubbish. But they're not doing that kind of. Oh well, I guess all societies are rubbish, and we, you know we better pl- let them better. plug a child into a death machine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, even though this was season one of DS Nine, this was a good one. Like, do you know what I am surprised at? Hmm. I'm surprised that the Tosk and the Hunters don't get brought back in because this feels like. This feels like foreshadowing for the Gem Hadar, who yeah. are who are genetically bred to be like the soldiers for the Dominion. So I'm really surprised it didn't kind of. I don't know how much DS9 is, was planned in advance. I I think they kind of made up a lot of it as they went along, because like um, yeah, most science fiction series, yeah, sure they have a planned five year arc. But I think you kind of you've got a you've got some basics and you're kind of just uh scooting by momentum and um very good luck, Babylon five. So I don't yep. think that I so I don't think that this was intentional, but I'm surprised that especially given how the hunters present and how the task are created, I'm surprised that they didn't try and work this back in with what we later know about the the, the Gamma Quadrant and the Dominion. Yeah, I feel the way the Dominion are and the way the Dominion rule, it feels entirely like there should be a kind of, oh yeah, we work with those guys. They do hunt stuff. That's good. We, you know, that's controllable. Again, like the Gem Hadar, we can go, okay, your holy hunt is is this stuff over here. Which, yeah, would have been, like, the guys doing the hunt should have been members of the Dominion. Mm. Really. Um, yeah, that would have been cool. And who knows, maybe, you know, in that sort of head cannoned way, there is that so- somewhere out there. Yeah. Um, so with this episode, we've got a few DS9s on our list. We've got a lot of fairly high up DS9s. And 
just skimming through, we've got like obviously our number one spot. We've got like the episode where Odo fucking explodes is in spot number 18. That's crossover, their first mirror universe one. Um, I think it's better than that. Sorry, worse than that. Um, because at that point they know who they are enough to go, here's an evil evil slash just capricious alternate universe version. And then the next one down would be the Marquee, which isn't bad, but politically is like it's just not great. Um, no. it, it's all right. It's obviously good enough to be just slightly under our halfway point. Um, actually, we've got another <laughs> I, I think you, you saw it. You saw it just as I did. We have the least dangerous game in uh, slot number 32 of Lower Decks, where Boimler is the least dangerous game. Is is our most dangerous game here better than that least dangerous game? Ooh. Oh, man. Um, I I think it is, although you know, it does. the least dangerous game does have uh, the great bits with um, <laughs> the psychic baby, the, the leaving volcano, and the computer. Yeah, it's just a line. It presents a system of checks and balances. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and even the the way the hunter the hunter is in that, like, oh, it's difficult because I know that episode is, you know, twenty five minutes of a wacky cartoon. Yeah, um, but it's got some fantastic moments in there. Um, do do you think it's better or worse? I, I like this, and it's it's near the halfway point, so it's certainly not in the bad level, no. or even in the mediocre level. I I, I, I think I like... kind of prefer least dangerous game a little, just because again the the wellness planet with you know the computer for head the baby, and yeah the the way the hunt goes in again a kind of consensual hunt mm. i feel like I, I have to say that our list doesn't get you know for our list of 62 soon to be 63 it doesn't start getting bad until we hit like the 58 59 and mm. let us not forget the last episode on the list has a machine powered by child death so Having I something on the low, <laughs> I know we don't mention it at all. Having something on the lower end of the list isn't bad. It's just that we've unfortunately stacked the top half quite well so far. Yeah. So, how do you feel with it? I, 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 feel... I, I enjoy this. Hmm. I think I'm gonna watch the least dangerous game more. Yeah, like, like it's good, but I. Okay, um, do you, like, okay, I'm looking at number 36 on the list. Yeah. Which is a matter of honor, which is Riker's Klingon work experience, which is above the marquee. Oh, I think, I think I might prefer matter of honor. All right. So you've got that that cultural exchange. You've got the bacteria. Um, you've got Riker really wanting to fuck a Klingon. Yeah, yeah, you, you've he got is desperate. You, there. You've got Brian Thompson, the most meatiest of men, actually delivering a dramatic monologue. Love a bit of Brian Thompson. So, 
Would you say this is better or worse than the Marquee? I think I prefer it to the Marquee. Like, the yeah. Marquee lays some really good groundwork kind of stuff for Star the Star Trek canon, but is middling. All right. So, in number 30, I, I would say this is better than the Marquee. Cool. I think we're agreed there. Excellent. So that makes it our new number 37. Well, good, good, good. With that, we draw the birthday episode to a close. Miles, it is early on your birthday, luckily, because if this was it, if this was all you were doing, this would be an I was about to say even sad than mine. Like, I don't know. Mine was mostly in lockdown. Um, so I think we watched some 30 Rock and walked to Lewis and then masked yeah. up and trained back. And that was it. What, you walked to Lewis? Yeah, you can walk to Lewis from Brighton easy. Really? How far is it? Lovely walk. I don't know. I don't do maps or distances. I just go up the hill and that way. Oh. Yeah. It's shorter than you would think. It's probably still a bit lengthy. Because, like, normally you gotta like go to Lewis on the train. Yeah, yeah. Come back that way, but yeah, it's a lovely, a lovely hilltop walk. Okay, now, okay, now, uh, I'm gonna have to quickly look this up. Okay, I'm kind of curious. Look this up while I run through our final, our final moments. So, uh, first of all, next week. Well, next episode, we're continuing to be self-indulgent by having yeah. our anniversary episode. We are treating ourselves partly because we're we're busy with birthday and holiday type things, but we are going to be discussing our first year of Casual Trek, discussing things that have surprised us and things that we're looking forward to in the next year as we're growing and maturing. Speaking, speaking of things that have surprised me, okay, so to Lewis from uh, my my old house, it would be a two-hour, 45-minute walk. Yeah. But one of the things that my GPS map decided to just show me on the map of Brighton and the Kemptown area is A-class erotic photography. Miles, I'm sure it's it's linked to your to your searches and interests, eh? <laughs> I thought you were going oh, to say it's it's linked for fact that the Royal Albion Hotel has burnt down again. And oh, no. we saw is continuing to burn down. Um, oh. Yeah, yeah. It's no. been a, a good 24 hours of it How'd... being on fire. Out, out of hotels on Brighton Seafront, I want to see burn down. That's not the one. No, no. Try no. better next time, guys. Yeah, I aim for the aim for the hill, aim for the metropole. Burn that one down. Anyway, as I said, next time anniversary time. It's the birthday of the show. Uh, outside of that, you can see us on Kofi.com/slash Casual Trek. Um, You'll see our Kofi link in the show notes. If you want to throw us a little bit of Latinum and maybe suggest an episode of Star Trek or a theme, and we will start to build an episode around that and air it just for you. We will also give you a shout out, even if you don't have a theme or an episode to recommend us to watch. Uh, we are reachable currently on Casual Trek Pod at Twitter. I think, assuming it's Twitter. not imploded entirely. No, tw uh, uh, Twitter's burning down like the Albion. 
My word, is it? Isn't it just? Um, yeah, and Miles, where can we find you and your work? Um, you can find me on my blog on mareadlobato.wordpress.com and you can find me begrudgingly at the internet Nazi bar known as Twitter on at man miles. Yeah, I believe you've got you've got a way in to somewhere else as well. Um, I currently have a I currently have a Blue Sky account. Um, I also have an invite code. So if you want to go to my Kofi, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I appreciate you trying to make sure that me fight um, over it. <laughs> And both no, of us I, kind of no selling that. Yeah, it was it was great. You you did the most. You you did a Starfleet. I did. <laughs> you both did a Starfleet, but going no, I will not fight today. Why haven't we done the episode where Kirk fights the Gorn? One day, one day. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll have a look and see what other Gorn episodes there might be. Um, but yeah, so that's it for you for me. You can find my work at fakedtales.com. I'm working on a review for the Die role-playing game, which might well be on Who Dares Rolls uh, in the next few weeks. And my RPGs and comics can be found on skyshark.itch.io. And uh, yeah, for now, I'm currently on the Hell site at charlie underscore en where I'm trying to limit myself and do portion control, trying to wean myself off the the constant addiction of checking that place out so yep. you can find my tumblr at uh faked tales and occasionally i'll be posting some bits about x-men or star trek over there um god that's what i've resorted to tumblr what a world anyway is my space still up don't I think I looked into it when things were first going down, and it it was all like Russian bots or something. I don't know. Oh, it it okay, sounded so like yeah. it was probably just open sluice gate of scammy stuff. Um, oh, good. Yeah, you know, fine, whatever. I know we 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 can just get really desperate and open up a Facebook page for the podcast. Oof, wow, there's there's a thought. Um, mm. Yeah, while we ponder such things, yeah, have have a lovely birthday, Miles. Thank and... you. Have a lovely birthday, Charlie. All right, thank you. And uh, everyone else, if you've got a birthday, have a good one of those. If not, sorry, yours will come soon, I'm sure. And uh, yeah, go, go, all of you, go do a Starfleet. Live long and have a jelly baby. You've been listening to Casual Trek by Charlie Etheridge Nunn and Miles Reed Lobato. Music by Alfred Etheridge Nunn. Casual Trek's part of the Nerd and Tie Network. And if you want to support us monetarily, because you love what we do that much, you can now do that by going to Coffee and looking up Casual Trek. There's a link in the show notes.